Thank you, Hector. Well, good morning. Good morning. Well, Andrew may have grown, but his pulpit hasn't. <laughs> Who was here when Pastor Adam preached from uh, Christchurch Gilbert? And he's four or five inches taller than me, so I heard about him preaching behind here, uh, but now I get to experience a little bit of it uh, myself. And who's in coma mode from Thanksgiving? Oh, no one's going to admit it, right? I'm still processing my thoughts on Thanksgiving. Um, I don't know uh, why on Thanksgiving we cook the one meat none of us cook the rest of the year. And we cook so much food that we have to eat leftovers. So uh, I'm not sure about those two things, but I had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I did brisket this year and uh, just... I've got one boy who's nine, Lincoln, who is kind of that traditional guy. He got it all from my wife. And he was like, Mom, are we not having turkey today? So she went out and uh, got a few slices of turkey so that he would be, uh, yeah, yeah, she did it, not me. <laughs> well, Pastor uh, uh, Reed, Andrew, is at Christ Church Gilbert this morning, and he's preaching, uh, serving our congregation there, so I'm excited. You can... Um, I would tell you you could jump on live stream right now. We could all lo log in right now and, and watch that instead. But um, you can go to ChristAZ.org later tonight, and you can see that that's being recorded uh, here, this second service. So he already, um, he already preached once, and he's doing it again, so he's working overtime today. And, uh, man, we, let me just say on behalf of Christ Church, uh, Gilbert, we're so grateful and thankful to be partnered with you guys. Uh, we really believe that we are, one, we are stronger as one church. Uh, the mission of Christ going forward in our city, there is much need. And uh, the more we can be uh, unified together on that mission, the stronger. And uh, we believe God's glory will be made known. So all the way out here in Queen Creek, I mean, way out here, last stop before the border. And uh, I didn't see any of the troops, but I'm guessing they're just uh, <laughs> a kilometer or two away. Uh, so uh, it's good to be here. As Hector said, I've been the executive pastor, and uh, everybody who hears me say that say, what does that mean? So I just bring leadership to our, our churches, our congregations, uh, organizational leadership, lead our teams, and uh, just help the ministry go forward as we gather together and as we scatter into our community. So I haven't met all of you. Many of you I have met, and it's good to be opening God's word with you this morning. I love what you guys are doing with Forward, uh, Living on Mission, and uh, Andrew started that last week, and I'm going to continue that this week. There's just no, I don't believe there's much closer to God's heart than his mission moving forward. The plan of redemption that he set before any of us were born, before this world was created, that, that message, that plan of redemption going forth in our homes, in our community, and around the world. Like there's nothing closer to God's heart. And then the fact that he uh, gathered us and invited us into that mission, what a great opportunity we have. And I love that you guys are focusing on that. But living on mission is all about discipleship. It's all about following Jesus in the place that he has called us. And so I want to take a few moments this morning and look at discipleship from Matthew chapter 16. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and grab them there. If you've got your uh, phone, tablet, do that as well. Uh, no snarky comments from me about those of you who use the phone, because I do every week that I'm not preaching. So go ahead and grab that, Matthew chapter 16. If you're unfamiliar with God's Word, just go to the front of your uh, Bible. There's a table of contents there. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. 
and uh, meet you there in a moment in chapter 16, big number 16. Well, election season is over. A hearty amen? I mean, my boys, uh, eight and nine, they were quoting like, Christian cinema is not good for Arizona. <laughs> Say no to Martha McSally. <laughs> yeah, way too many commercials. Hey, one of my secret bucket list items, and I haven't told many people, I think my wife's the only one that, that knows this, but I'm, uh, one of my bucket list items is to run for political office. Call me crazy. It's one of my bucket list items. But any candidate, catch this, any candidate with aspirations to be in office better have the, prior, the proper mindset prior to starting his campaign. They better have someone on their team who can help them understand the costs, and they're high, understand the negativity that will surround them, understand uh, what the job entails, the roller coaster that it will be. Frankly, there isn't an aspect of life where it isn't critical to have the right mindset and to think clearly and to think correctly. See, our ability to execute... Our ability to sustain execution is dependent on clarity. Muddy or lazy thinking results in failed expectations, incorrect goals, and frustrating outcomes. Exercise people, gym people, you agree with me? I mean, if you, uh, uh, your thinking better be right before you get on that treadmill... We're starting out on that run, knowing your goal, knowing what to expect, and knowing how your body is going to feel immediately are all critical to the success of your goal. And in most situations in life, confusion will ensue. Failed expectations will be experienced and disappointment will be realized. And effectiveness will be minimized when we don't think properly. And similarly, an obstacle to faithfulness in our discipleship is incorrect thinking about discipleship. Living with a wrong mindset about the mission limits our effectiveness to go forward in the mission. So it's good for us to be reminded this morning, and I do mean that likely for many of us. It's a reminder this morning what Jesus teaches about discipleship so that we can think correctly and live appropriately. We're going to do that from Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, our study this morning is going to be in verses 24 through 27. I'll give some context beginning in verse 13, and I'm not going to read verse 28 because I've got no idea what it means. And if you've got time this week, you dig in to verse 28 and see if you agree with the 10 different scholars who all think differently uh, on that verse. But we're going to study verses 24 through 27. Starting in chapter 16, verse 13, though, Jesus is with his disciples. And he asks them that question there in verse 13, who do people say that, that the Son of Man is? And there was various 
um, answers, if you remember there. But one said, Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, you are, verse 16, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What a revelation from the Father. What a declaration of truth, the, the true identity of who Christ was. And yet then, starting in verse 21... Uh, Jesus foretells them, he tells them that, that he is going to die. They didn't get it. In fact, Peter, like his normal self, speaks up. Says, no, this isn't what it's supposed to happen. You're supposed to be the Messiah. You're the king. You're the one who came. We've been waiting for you. And it's out of those stories, out of those events, that Jesus then says this to him in verse 24. The clear identity who he was the foretelling of his coming death. Verse 24, our study here this morning. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, let him take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. If you're taking some notes this morning, the big idea this morning from this text is this, that right thinking about discipleship is critical for faithful discipleship. Right thinking about discipleship is critical for faithful discipleship. And as we live on mission for Christ, as we consider moving forward on the mission, faithful discipleship is critical. Leaves us with the question then this morning, what is right thinking or rather, what's the proper mindset? Like many things, discipleship included, we, we will think correctly, we can think correctly when we understand certain details. So how we're going to do this this morning is simply two things. Two discipleship details. Because I'm served by being simple. Um, I trust that you are as well. Just two things this morning, and you will see that they are at least simple uh, to remember and we pray that the Spirit would help us uh, grasp them for his glory. Two discipleship details that will correct, that will clean up, that will clarify muddy or sloppy thinking about following Jesus. Here's the first one. The cost for you and I who follow Jesus is great. The cost for you and I who follow Jesus is great. We hate hidden fees, don't we? We hate hidden costs. I used to travel a ton for business, and, and I think the, 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 in, in modern marketing, the number one hidden cost um, offender is airline tickets, right? Yeah, I've got a friend who's a pilot, and he doesn't like me talking about this, but this is real. Airline tickets. I mean, there was a day, you may not remember it, there was a day when you could go online even, or you could call up and uh, get a, 
a, a ticket, and when they gave you the cost of the fare, you could actually assume you got a seat with it. <laughs> and a little bag of peanuts. Not, not a whole can of Coke, about a third of a can of Coke with that. Not anymore. Not anymore. The, the fare that you're given, uh, let me just warn you, don't assume any of that. Okay? Uh, there's hidden costs, hidden fees. We can't stand that. And, and, and for some of us, we may have grown up in environments or have been told by people or churches that market Christianity in that way. By advertising or propagating a gospel that gets you forgiveness of sins, that gets you freedom from hell, all for the low price of one simple prayer. And then you find out, after reading your Bible, that there's more to it. That it costs more than one simple prayer. Jesus never communicates in that way. He's clear that following him will come at great cost. So what exactly is the cost? We're going to spend a lot of our time in this, this first verse 24 because here Jesus outlines a few things for us. It's the main point of this paragraph. And he outlines three costs for us that would come after what it would cost to come after him. First, it's rejecting myself. Look at verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. I don't know what comes to mind when you hear the word deny. Um, there was a day when uh, in the dating scene, you would just hate to, have to be denied. Like you'd ask that girl uh, out and she says, no, I'm told that's what happened. My, my wife, I was going to say my current wife, my only wife, <laughs> denied me plenty of times. What about applying for a loan? Uh, I've got, I had a Tahoe with 240,000 miles, loved it, loved it, loved it. And uh, even the ripped leather in it, I loved. But um, the fact that all the fluids that were supposed to be in the Tahoe were on my driveway and uh, on the floor of my garage meant I needed to do something about it. So I found a car uh, that I love and um, went to apply for a loan. Now, sorry, Dave Ramsey fans. I love Dave Ramsey, but sorry uh, if you're disappointed in that. Um, went and got, got a loan for my car. And, like, there's, there's just that feeling like, man, I hope I'm not denied. Right? I hope I don't get denied. Maybe you think of Peter. Peter, who three times denied the fact that he even knew who Jesus was. You can read of that account in Luke chapter 22. But listen, denying self means more than just rejecting a desire. It's rejecting our natural sinful pursuit of self-glory. Saying no to the ego or to the identity that wants our dreams and desires, our comfort and convenience and our safety and success to be our primary pursuit. Denying self is rejecting me. One of the things each of us share 
in all of our diversity is a propensity to think of ourselves, to value ourselves preeminently. It's one of the effects of the fall in the garden where Adam and Eve, who chose themselves over God, something we've been born with, and it's something that we continually to prove out as we live. So to follow Jesus, we need to reject something. We need to say no to something. Where we naturally value ourselves, Jesus says we need to think differently and reject that way of thinking. It's what we did at salvation when our eyes were open to the truth that Jesus is better. That his way is better. At salvation, we turn from our way. We denied, we rejected ourselves, our way, our attempts to save ourselves in exchange for Jesus and his way. But catch this. Denying self is not just for a moment in time in the past. Faithfulness on the mission requires daily denying ourselves. It's our mindset. Luke, in his gospel, just a few pages over in chapter 9, he gives this account, but he adds uh, the word daily to his account. You need to deny yourself daily. It's a mindset. It's the proper mindset of a follower of Jesus is that I need to say daily, say no to self and yes to Jesus. Daily, no to self, yes to Jesus. Tomorrow morning, no to self, Yes to Jesus. We don't always live in this mindset. Maybe you will relate to this. We live often not rejecting the way of Jesus, but seeking to add the way of Jesus to the goals and the desires that I have for my life. We don't live rejecting ourselves. We, try, we live trying to fit Jesus into our lives. We can show up, it's, we see it show up in things we manage, our schedule, our bank account, our relationships. And unfortunately, we often have a form of discipleship. We have a form of following Jesus that doesn't require complete denial of self, but that's not Jesus' form of discipleship. Well, it's not only denying self, but look at the second cost here in verse 24. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Jesus is using a metaphor here to help uh, the crowd and the disciples have a paradigm shift in the way they viewed following Jesus. Remember, Jesus had recently told the disciples that he was going to die, but they had no idea he was going to die on a cross. They had no idea he would be crucified. They really believed that he was the Messiah that had been promised and that he was going to establish an earthly kingdom. And as Jesus' closest followers, get this, as Jesus' closest followers, their future was seemingly guaranteed to be a life of royalty, a life of power, and a life of importance. I mean, who else was closest to this Messiah Messiah who would be the king of kings? 
So Jesus certainly lands a blow to their thinking with this metaphor. While they didn't know Jesus was going to be crucified, they knew what crucifixion was. For almost 300 years by that point in the first century, this, this had been a form of execution, form of punishment. And it was well known that the condemned would be responsible for taking his cross to the place where he would ultimately be crucified. His disciples needed to hear this. You think following me, Jesus says, results in power and position? No, following me means life as you knew it was over. See, the cost of discipleship is more than rejecting myself. It's readying myself for suffering. It's readying myself for suffering. And we must be reminded, because we need to hear this uh, too this morning, that, that, that choosing Jesus is a choice that doesn't result in prestige or position in our world. Not even America. As Christian, as we think our country or culture is, following Jesus is an affront to the world system, to the cosmos that is rules and, and influenced by God's enemies. It's been a spiritual war that has been going on since the Garden of Eden. But I think there's a risk that since we have lived in an environment that Christian has been seen as a positive thing. And that's changing, right? We often get shocked or even offended when the world system we know acts in a way that results for us in pain, loss, or persecution. Jesus is telling us again this morning that the cost of discipleship is this, that life as a Christian is readying ourselves for suffering may look different for each of us. But following Jesus is not for prestige, and it's not for power. It's not for life of ease. It's taking up our cross. It's willingly walking a path that communicates that our life, our expectations, as we know it, is over. And we're following Jesus. Cost of discipleship, rejecting myself, it's readying myself for suffering. And third, here in this verse, Jesus says, and follow me. And follow me. Finally, the cost of following Jesus relinquishes authority. It's following Jesus. These weren't new words for Jesus' followers. You can go back to, I think, Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus utters these words to Peter and to Andrew and then to James and John and Matthew. Follow me. Words of invitation to broken and messy people. Words of invitation, yes, but an invitation that demands relinquishing authority to Jesus. This is an acknowledgement of who Jesus is. We saw that earlier in the chapter, just uh, verse 13, where Peter rightly acknowledges him as Christ, the son of the living God. Colossians chapter 1, you jot it down. Uh, here's what Paul writes. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, 
the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him. Through who? Through Jesus. And for him. For who? For Jesus. And he, that's Jesus, is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body. That's Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he, that's Jesus, might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Follow who? Follow Jesus. Practically, I think a few things come to mind that I think can help us this week think correctly about the command to follow Jesus. First, that following Jesus is simply submitting to Jesus. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means to submit to him. We acknowledge him as the leader, as the master, as the Lord of our lives. Again, not just what we did when our eyes were opened to the glories of Christ and we responded in in faith and in repentance, but, but daily acknowledging him as the leader. We get behind him. It's a position of, and a posture of looking to him. Like I said, I got two boys, Lincoln and Roman. Uh, Lincoln is nine and a half, and Roman will be eight here soon. So second and third grade. And I tell you, teachers these days are brilliant. Probably more brilliant than when I was in school. Um, they come home. So what teachers do these days, and if you're a teacher, thanks for loving our kiddos. Uh, but they give our kids jobs. And our kids love it. So teach us how to do that at home. <laughs> but one, uh, I think their favorite, their favorite, favorite, favorite job is to be the leader of the line. Right? They're, they're the leader. No, no one can go anywhere without them going. And every other student has to, has to submit to their leadership, has to get in line behind them. So the pace that they want to go and Roman's pace, you do not want to be behind him as the leader if you have to get to the bathroom or something. His pace, he's just, he's just there. Life's good. You get behind a position, a posture. Someone else is the leader. And following Jesus is simply that. It's getting in line. So if you have a desire and a propensity to be at the front of the line when it comes to faithful discipleship, We must put that aside and get behind Jesus to submit to him, to his authority. He's the leader. It's not just submitting to Jesus, it's imitating Jesus. We see this all through the New Testament. That following Jesus means imitating him. 1 Peter 2, 21, you jot that down. 1 Corinthians 11. How many times have we been told, in God's words, how many times do we read that we we are called to forgive? How? Let's try that again. We've been called to forgive. How? As Christ has forgiven. Called to imitate him. Following Jesus, another practical, helpful way that we can just boil this down and understand it is obeying Jesus. 
We imitate him by knowing him. We know him how? Through his word. We follow him by obeying him. We know what he has said how? By through his word. Proper mindset is one who acknowledges that the cost for you and I who follow Jesus is great. It's saying no to self and it's saying yes to Jesus, to follow him, to imitate him, to submit to his authority, to ready ourselves for suffering, to reject ourselves for him. Listen, the gospel made this possible. What I would hate for you to do this morning is to think that now I just strap up my boots and I go get it. Get, get at work hard following Jesus and, and, and in my power trying to deny myself more and to, to follow Jesus more and to take up my cross more. And, and certainly discipleship is a responsibility we have, but the gospel makes this possible. The spirit who dwells in us, get it, the spirit who is alive and is active in you, who provided the grace you needed to see Jesus in the glory of the of the cross. It's the same spirit who's alive and active in you to give you the the grace needed to daily follow Jesus. Lean on that grace. Ask him for that grace. Right thinking about discipleship is critical for faithful discipleship. So first discipleship detail was the reward for you and I who follow Jesus is great. Spend our last time together looking at the second the reward for you and I who follow Jesus is greater. The reward for you and I who follow Jesus is greater. This is the good news of the gospel. The cost is great. The reward is greater. We have to make decisions every day that really come down to a simple question Is it worth it? We ask this about inconsequential things. We ask this about important things. Nearly every decision comes to a question of, is it worth it? Take your your cell phone. I think I've got mine. Cell phone, beautiful cell phones. It's over, um, yeah, cell phones, beautiful. We all need them, right? Who who could live without them? Who thinks 30-something years these have been around, who thinks it's a fad and doesn't have one? Okay. Well, e- even with this, come a long way. I think in the early 1980s, the first cell phone sold for just under $4,000. And prices are almost back there. <laughs> but how you handle this and what you do with it, really you're just make, asking a question, is it worth it? So some of you think it's worth it to protect this. Like, because this is not cheap, and you need it for life. And so you go at uh, Target or uh, Walmart. Kmart's not around anymore. You go to Walmart, you get the outer box. Who's got an outer box, right? Outer box, right? And not just any outer box, but you get the Defender series. (laughs) The one that you can drop from seven stories, and it's not going to break. And you don't stop there because you don't want scratches on the front of it. So you got an inch-thick sheet on here. So what the end result is, this fits in my pocket. Yours is a brick that 
you can't carry for very long and you can't hold up to your, phone, your, your ear, but it's worth it for you to not break it. Simple. Is it worth it? What Jesus is doing here over the next few verses is going to prove. See that? How he starts verse 25, 4. He's going to prove this for us. That it's unquestionably worth following him. Regardless of what it costs you, the reward is greater. So why is the reward greater? Why is it worth it? First, the reward is greater, verse 25. Reward is greater than the cost because what we are giving up isn't as valuable as we think it is. Look at verse 25. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever will save his life will lose it. So, so option for us, work and live to save our earthly lives, and we lose the opportunity for eternal life. Do nothing with Jesus, no life. Keep doing your thing, no life. The grasping and the pursuit of self doesn't lead to true life, not on this earth nor in eternity. It has no value. It makes no sense in our economy. It's the opposite of what we naturally think. We wake up thinking, if today I work to save, if I work to protect, if I work to advance me today, all is good. The outcome is good. Everything is okay. And Jesus quickly kills this idea. You think you're going to save your life, you're going to lose it. But then he continues in this verse and he tells us that the reward is greater because we are, what we are getting is more valuable than we could ever imagine. Look at the second part of verse 25. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You give up your life now for Jesus. You say no to self for Jesus. You ready yourself for suffering for Jesus. You follow Jesus by imitating him, by by obeying him, by acknowledging him as leader, you will get eternal life. Eternity with him. The sacrificing and the pursuing of things for his kingdom. The daily sacrificing and the pursuing of, his thing, of things for the kingdom leads to life. Eternal value. Not earned. Life is, a free, is free because of Christ's work in us. But the faithful discipleship is the mark of life. A mindset that gives for God, for his mission, for his glory, is a mindset that is a faithful follower of Jesus. We hate to lose things. Some of us lose things more than others. Keys, documents, car titles, I walked in and out of the house a couple times last week, and my wife Amber was just like, you should be a little more organized. Hate, hate losing things, but we love to find things. $20 bill that's in that pocket, you've never been happier to hold a $20 bill. You didn't expect it. Old love letters. Well, in return for losing this earthly life, that's 
not as valuable as we think it is. We get a reward that's far more valuable than we think it is, eternal life with Jesus, which, which leads to a rhetorical question in verse 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits the soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So the question is, how is a man in better shape? Does he profit if he attains everything in this world but gives up his soul? Clearly the answer is, he's not. Or what has enough value that you would trade it for your life? That you would trade it for eternal life? And clearly the answer is nothing. Who participated in Black Friday? Come on, who went shopping? Okay, handful, admit it. Which means four times that. I know the point of Black Friday is not a social experiment. But here's what's clear on the Friday after Thanksgiving. People will do crazy things to get a deal on something they want. When people see something they want and they value, they're willing to give up a ton. Whether it's sleep or sanity their manners, because they value it. Turn a few pages back to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. In this uh, part of Matthew's account, his gospel account, are Jesus' parables. Earthly stories that have a heavenly meaning. There's a frequent definition of a parable, and I want to draw our attention to verse 44. And I think if there's only one thing you could remember this morning, I I think it's this verse. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven. So that's that's his mission. It's his kingdom. It's like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and buys that field. You get that? God's mission, Jesus' mission, is the treasure in the field. That when you see it, when you find it, you are compelled, your heart is transformed, desires change, values change, that there is nothing There is nothing you won't give up to get it. So as followers of Jesus, whose eyes have been changed, what God intends for us this morning is that our our minds would be reminded, that our hearts would be refreshed, that we would see the glory of Christ again. That we would see the value of his kingdom that we would see the good news of the gospel. That who we were in our trespasses, in, in our sins, facing condemnation, that Jesus in his love, Jesus, the one as we read in Colossians 1, who was before all time, 
came, took on human flesh, lived a perfect life, died the perfect substitutionary death for us so that we may be redeemed with no works, adding nothing to the equation, we may be able to live with him forever, that we may be able to glorify him now. Our status as enemies of God was restored to now friend. We were an orphan, now we're a son and a daughter. Jesus intends for his disciples then and for us today is that we would be reminded that the gospel would be in front of us, that the treasure of the kingdom would be so in front of us that that anything on this earth, family, finances, friendships, any other Fs that you can think of, we would just give it away. We would sell it all daily to have his, his kingdom. The reward is worth it. It's appropriately named the gospel. It's good news. I don't know most of you, don't know most of you well, but I stand here with fair confidence that your lives have been marked by denying self. That following Jesus hasn't been easy. That you've, that you've sold earthly possessions for the mission of Christ. That you've lost friendships and relationships because of your, your submitting to Jesus. You've given sacrificially for his glory and his missions. And I'm, I'm confident you have stories and you have lost that, that shows the value you see in Christ. And we give God glory for that. We sing and we sing and we praise together because of that, because of his work in our lives. But let me ask you this morning, what, what are you unwilling to give in pursuit of faithful discipleship? The kingdom of heaven is the treasure and you come upon it. What's, what's the one thing that's like, man, I, I don't know that I can get rid of that to follow Jesus today. What are you seeking to to save or to hold on to? Jesus is offering, get this, Jesus is offering a life full of true joy. True joy. This world doesn't offer it. He's offering a life full of true joy for all of eternity in his presence. Free from our own self-destruction. Redeemed from our rebellion. In exchange of the never-ending unsatisfying longing and grasping of more of me. See that trade? He's offering a life full of joy for all eternity in his presence, free from our own self-destruction, redeemed from our rebellion, in exchange, the never-ending, unsatisfying longing and grasping for more of me. I think we hate transactions that immediately afterwards we're like, man, did I just get taken? Like, I thought that was a good trade. Maybe it's on offer up, and afterwards you're just like, mm, that just doesn't seem right. You go back to offer up, and the guy's taking his profile down. Yeah, you've been taken. Jesus will never take you. As hard as 
It is, as much as it costs, the reward he's promised is greater. Quickly and lastly, I've got no timer up here, so I've got no clue where we're at on time. So uh, either that or it's been on zero for a long time. Look at verse 27, and we'll, we'll end here. Back in chapter 16. Verse 27, I'm just going to highlight one thing. For the Son of Man... Do you underline in your Bible? Do you highlight? Do you circle things? If you do, do this right here. For the Son of Man is going to come. Just underline is going. Is going. He is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. Why is the reward greater? Because it's guaranteed. Like the victory has been won. There is hope for us. There is a confidence. The one who has always kept his word, always, has promised he would return. Losing self is worth it because we get a king of kings and a lord of lords who is sovereign over all things. He's already defeated the enemy and he's already won the victory. Changes our perspectives of a transaction when there's a guarantee on the back end, doesn't it? The reward is guaranteed. When Jesus comes back in verse 27... In the glory of his Father, he will repay each each person. There's a reward coming. Again, not works we earn that get us to heaven, but rewards because of works we're able to do because of his grace in our lives that we will then throw at his feet and worship for all of eternity. He's going to reward for all of eternity. One of the last things Jesus said before he ascended to heaven, Revelation 22, verse 12, Behold, I am coming soon bringing my recompense or my reward, bringing my compensation with me to repay each one for what he has done. By God's grace, we can follow Jesus. We have rewards that we, uh, through life here on earth, that glorifies his name, and then when we throw him at his feet, we'll glorify him forever. Simply put, Matthew 16, 24 through 27 is this, this, Discipleship details, it's costly, and it's worth it. Maybe today is the first time that your eyes have been opened to the glories of Christ, and if that's true, that, that's God drawing you to himself. And my encouragement this morning is that the message of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, that you would respond in faith. If the Spirit has given you eyes to see that Jesus wasn't just a good teacher, he wasn't a prophet, he was, he was the Son of God who who came to take away our sins. Repent and turn to him. Whether you've been a follower of Jesus for two, ye- two weeks or two decades, as followers of Jesus daily, daily, as we desire to see his mission move forward, to be faithful in discipleship, we've got to think rightly about discipleship. And may God grant us his grace to daily deny self, take up his cross, and follow him for his glory. Would you pray with me? Father, I'm aware this morning that the study of your word can bring different thoughts and emotions. God, I pray that you would rid us from uh, condemnation this morning, regardless of what our 
uh, ride here this morning was like, regardless of what our week has been like, regardless of the ways in which we have uh, not rejected ourselves this week, and we have not denied ourselves, we have not taken up your cross, and we certainly have not followed you. I, got, I pray that we would lean into the gospel, lean into the good news that it is finished, that you have forgiven it. God, I pray that you would help our hearts this morning to be rekindled. To treasure the gospel would be the, just as, as much as possible, would be the most beautiful thing. Be we, we, that we would be willing to give whatever it is that you call us to give. deny ourselves, our identity, our ego. We deny our dreams and our desires. We, des- we deny our safety and our security and our success. Because we want to follow you. We want our homes and we want our kids to, to see that there's a difference in us because we follow you. We want our communities and our workplaces impacted because, because we follow you. We want the message of Jesus to go farther than we can go. So God, I pray that you would help apply this individually to our lives. So we get in groups this week or we sit and talk to our spouses or our friends. May your spirit help to to know what it is you're calling us to give, what you're calling us to do, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. May our hope rest in the guarantee of your coming. May we have the proper mindset, a right mindset that this is hard, it's gonna cost, it's counter to our world's economy, but it's so worth it. Because Jesus, you're worth it. So we love you and we're gonna sing praises to you. We've got so many reasons to sing praises to you. And so we thank you. That as your word goes forth, your name would be glorified in Christ's name.